This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Would you pray with me for the message this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for the great worship we've had so far this morning. Uh, we ask now, Lord, as your word goes forth, uh, you'd speak to us this morning. Put this message upon our hearts, Lord. Speak through our pastor this morning. Uh, let his words be your words, Lord. Uh, and we ask that your word would not return unto you void this morning. Uh, we'll turn this time now over to you, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 36. I'm going to take a few weeks away from Titus and um, want to address some questions that uh, I received from a young adult some time ago. And I found in my years here that if somebody has a question, other people have a question. And so I think these are really important questions touching the heart of the gospel, and um, they need to be addressed, because if you don't have the questions, somebody you may be sharing the gospel with will have the question. So let's read from Psalm 36. Trans- transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of of the abundance of your house. And you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the doers of iniquity have fallen. They have been thrust down and cannot rise. So because of the focus of this message and and, um, sometimes it's... You've got to stop and think about what's being said. I have it up here on, on the overhead. You know I don't typically do that. But for this, and don't get used to it, uh, but uh, for this I, I wanted to take that time so that you, you have to, the ability to process that in your eye gate and think about it. But when I received um, these questions from this individual, I, I went back and forth in my mind as how to, to best uh, understand to to address it, seeking the Lord to help me in this. And um, this first one 
is, is really, uh, could be described this way. And the first one is, if God is all-powerful, why is there only one way to be saved? Or, if there could be another way, why is Jesus to be the only way? If there could be another way, why is Jesus the only way? And I think why questions are some of the most difficult to answer and perhaps some of the most important to answer. We can't neglect why questions when they're asked of us. And we need to see that. And they're difficult to answer adequately. A couple of the other questions we'll cover in the coming weeks. Now, next week, my brother's going to be preaching. Uh, some of you have been asking, when's your brother going to preach? And I don't take offense at that. I'm glad to, to let him to, to take that opportunity. So next week, he will. But the following weeks, we're going to look at the, these two questions here. Um, next one's up, Mike. Uh, why is hell an option? Why is hell an option? And, uh, and, and the, that's not the full phrase of, of the question, uh, but we'll see it then. And the second question is, what about people who have never heard about Jesus as Messiah? So those are two questions we're going to answer. But at the core of this question this morning, if God is all-powerful, why is there only one way to be saved? I believe ultimately it boils down to understanding who God is. You have to understand who God is, um, and, and we might simply understand God's omnipotence in this way. To say that God is all-powerful is not the same as to say that God can do all things. And you say, well, you sure that's not the same? It's not the same. Because, you know, there's a false argument, you know, can, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it, right? It's, a, it's that catch-22 kind of thing. It's really a false argument because Scripture says God cannot lie, therefore he can't do all things, but he is all-powerful. And so we have to understand this by understanding his character. You could, when you look at things, you'll see there are God, things that God cannot do. And that's the core of what's going on here. And why, if God is all-powerful, can there only be one way to be saved? We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll get to that point because ultimately it, it comes down to that. Um, and it's things that God cannot do, not simply he won't do. Right? You have children. You understand. <laughs> it's not things that they can't do. It's things they simply won't do. And then we have to encourage them. So we, we might better understand God's omnipotence in this way. God may expend all his power on one specific particle of matter or event in the universe and still not reduce or exhaust any of his available power to focus on every other person or thing or particle of matter in the universe at the same time. So God can focus all his power upon Elaine, all his focus without 
diminishing his ability to focus on every other person, every other thing in the universe. That's what God's omnipotence describes. So this is why this question that this individual asked was truly multifaceted. Um, We're considering not just God's omnipotence, but we have to understand His justice, His equity, His his determination to save individuals from eternal death. You know, we, we don't want to overthink it, but we also can't be trite in this answer because it regards whether you will be saved or lost. It will regard whether you are saved or lost. So we we need to see this. We have to run through this proper progression of the issues that are related to this why question at hand and answer it thoroughly. This person who asked me this deserved an answer, and so do you. Each one of us needs to think in this. And so before we do this, for this reason, I'm going to suppose a couple of premises as we move on. But the first premise is this. God wants all people to be saved. That's the first premise we're going to start with here. God wants all people to be saved because if He doesn't, then it really doesn't matter because God doesn't care about all people whether they're saved. And if He doesn't, it doesn't matter whether He's provided one way or a hundred ways. And if He doesn't want all to be saved, That would lead us through a good many other why questions. Some, I think, do not have an answer. But the Scripture repeatedly and plainly says God desires all to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says that. God desires all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, Paul says, I mean, Peter says, God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then in John 3, 16, anybody ever hear that verse before? Anybody ever read that verse before? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we see that. We, We see it's very clear In this, God desires all people to be saved. Now, the fact that not all people will be saved does not impugn God's character or diminish His glory, the glory of His omnipotence, since there are other factors in play that require the answer to a few other questions. But we see God's desire is that all to be saved. That's what he wants. That's his desire. That's his will. But uh, next, relatedly, uh, a second premise we need to do, we need to look at is this. God truly determined to save people only through Jesus Christ. God truly determined to save people only through Jesus Christ. For if the Scripture doesn't clearly state it, then the question this individual asked me is devoid of significance right? Let's go home. It's time. We don't need to think about it. If Jesus is described as a means of salvation, 
but not the exclusive means of salvation, then the discussion ends. And God could show his desire to save all, but very possibly through a multiplicity of roads to heaven. And yet the scripture states this plainly also. Jesus says it himself. Can we, can we go to a greater authority? In John 14, 6, G- Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so we, we see this here. We, we, we recognize it. Um, Paul agrees with him. Um, Peter, Peter agrees with that, right? As he's, he's speaking before the Jewish leadership in, in Jerusalem in Acts 4.12, he says, there is, no, uh, there is salvation in no one else than Jesus. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Paul concurs with this as well. He's in agreement. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one mediator between God and man. There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And also, he, he says something similar in Galatians 2.20. If righteousness comes through the law, Christ died needlessly. Now, that last verse doesn't make Jesus an exclusive way, but it does remove the means of obedience to the law as a way of salvation. So, but all of those, those other three very clearly lay out Jesus as the exclusive way. And so, though, they, though this lays the answer out, it doesn't answer the why question, nor the, the subjunctive issue as to the possibility that God could have made provision of another way. Why couldn't God provide another way? And this is what brings us to the issue at hand, God's justice. Perhaps the best manner to, a- to answer this is to ask uh, this very thing. In regard to God, and this is where you want to think about this, in regard to God, is He prevented in His person, in who He is, from committing to some other means of salvation other than Jesus Christ. So, is God prevented in His person? Again, it does not touch His omnipotence. It doesn't touch the fact that He is all-powerful, but it speaks to who He is. And that's why we have to understand who He is. And so, the starting place for this is God's justice. It's the justice of God. And, but we also need to look at the balanced character of God. God's justice, God's judgment is tempered by His mercy, by His love. These do not negate the justice of God or else God would cease to be God. If His mercy, if His love canceled out, justice, he would cease to be God because justice is part of who God is. And we need to see this. It's different than God isn't, doesn't just do just things. God doesn't simply do just things. He is just. God doesn't just do righteous things. He is righteous. And so this is a difference, and this is where I want you to think about it because it can, you, you can get a little confused here, but essence 
is what is, is essential. God is called just. It's essential to his character. It's not something that he does only, but it's who, part of who he is. And that's the difference between essence and accident. And that's what we need to understand the difference. Ac- uh, essence, oh wait, did I skip something, Mike? Yeah, I did. Thanks. So let me back up because you'll get confused like I just confused. <laughs> so what, is, what does righteousness mean? What does it mean that God is righteous? He does all things perfectly and rightly, and he can't be accused of any wrongdoing. That's what righteous is. And he rewards that which is righteous and punishes actions that are evil. That's what righteous means, right? So just think about that for a second. Everything he does is perfect. And if we don't see it such, the problem isn't with him. The problem is with you and me. And so we have to go back and say, okay, step. It's like customers always right. If you forget rule, you know, what's rule number two? Remember rule number one? Um, God is righteous. He does all things right. He cannot be accused of wrongdoing. And he rewards that which is righteous and punishes that action which are evil. And so God is called just, right? It's part of his character. It's part of his essence. So essence and not part of accident, meaning supplemental to him. So essence is this. It's essential to your identity. Accident is what is supplemental to your identity. Chris, if you lose your arm, you're still Chris. I don't, you don't come in one day and say, hi, half Chris. Right? Losing her arm is supplemental to her identity. Dan, you lost your job last year. I, so Dan comes into church, I go, how are you doing, Dan, without a job? It's not, it's supplemental to his identity. It's not who he is. He was still Dan. You lose your arm. I'm still me. But you know what? You know what the difference is? Your soul is your essence. You can't lose part of your soul or you cease to be. God can't lose his justice or he ceases to be. So this is, this is what we understand here. And And think about it. That's why Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? See, because the whole world, regardless if you've got everything, it's not who you are. That's why Jesus said, you know what? If your eye is keeping you from getting to heaven, pluck it out. If your hand is keeping you from getting to heaven, cut it off. Now he's speaking metaphorically, but there's that truth to it. This is supplemental to who we are. This is supplemental to who we are. Our soul is who we are. Nate, if I gave you a million dollars for your eyes, would you do that? A million dollars for your eyes. No. No, why? Because my eyes are precious. Jesus used that Jesus used that example 
Because how much more precious is your soul than your eye or your hand? It's your essence, and you don't want to lose it. God's justice is not... Um, it's not supplemental to his being. It's not accidental to his being. It's of his essence. It's who he is. If he ceases to be just, he ceases to be God. Um, two, two verses speak of this. The Lord is righteous. That's the to be verb there. He is. This is what he is. It's not that he does righteous. He does do righteous things He is because he is righteous. The Lord is righteous, 2 Chronicles. You are righteous, Psalm 119, 137. You are righteous, O Lord. That's His being. It's who He is. He's not just acting righteous, but He is righteous. He's called by that designation. For that reason, God must always act in a manner consistent with what is right and just. He doesn't do otherwise. And God's justice is not arbitrary. Therefore, this is what, why he can't just simply forgive your sin, because you ask it, because you confess it. It has to be in accordance with what the Word says that is in accordance with his justice. Think about that for a moment. God's justice. Have you ever thought this? God's justice sometimes seems to be arbitrary. I mean, in some biblical narratives, you see God punishes something right away, but in others, he doesn't seem to. And this is important to understand. For example, King David, when he committed that atrocious act against Bathsheba and against her husband, David repents when he's confronted over it, and God says, you'll not die. When the law said adultery, murder, you're to die. But then with Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they're offering up unauthorized fire to the Lord on the altar, and boom, they are killed immediately. And you say, isn't that arbitrary? Why does God do that for them? And then, but for King David, he doesn't do that. What you un understand here is not only is God just, but he is merciful. That's part of his character. God is able to show mercy, but it doesn't mean he ceases to be just. God may delay justice for a time by showing mercy, but you cannot blame God when he does not show you mercy. Do you see that? Mercy is not what you deserve, but it's just that. A, mercy. If everyone should get mercy, it wouldn't be mercy. It would be what? Justice. And so because of that, God is not being unfair to you because he shows this one mercy, but he doesn't show you mercy. He's not obligated to show you or I any mercy, but he does because he's also merciful. So let me ask this question, and let's try to answer it. How then is God just if he is not bringing justice or judgment on everyone immediately. How is God just? How can God delay judgment and still be just? 
in all of these cases in which God exercises mercy upon people, it's not at the expense of his justice. And I should say, if you are sitting here today, you have experienced God's mercy. Because none of us should be here. We should all be extinguished. This life should be snuffed out in us. So why is this? But God's justice will still be carried out, and that's what we have to understand. That's what we must not miss. Because God's shown mercy to you, don't think that justice will not be given. If you miss that, if you think, hey, I've got God's mercy, you're going to be like King Agag who when he was captured and he wasn't killed, he was brought by Saul and he, he, he walked up to Samuel the priest who was ordered to kill Agag. And it says he walked up casually because he thought the fear of death had passed. He had been shown mercy by Saul, but justice was still going to be carried out because you've experienced mercy. Don't think that God's justice will not still be poured out. Look at all this time I've got. Look, I, I, I didn't die here and I, I could have died there and I didn't. Well, that's, that's because God's justice isn't going to... No, 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 no. Please listen and understand that. How is this? Even if it is tempered by mercy and long-suffering to those who sin against Him, when you sin against Him, you didn't receive justice, but mercy, don't think that justice will not be carried out. In all cases of sin... Your sin is ultimately committed against God. That's what David understood. And this is the, the aspect why God is able to show mercy to people. In Psalm 51, when David wrote that psalm in, in contrition over his, his sin against Bathsheba and, and against Uriah, he said, you only, Lord, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, that didn't mean that he didn't sin against them. But ultimately, his sin was against God first and foremost. His sin was against God. So how is then God, in foregoing the death penalty against King David, still just? How can he do that? If any human judge had said, oh, you're sorry for that? Well, that's okay. You can go on free. He would be committing serious injustice. So why is it? I believe the answer is found in Romans chapter 3. We're familiar with Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I think we do that verse in injustice, no pun intended, when we fail to understand the rest of the context of those verses that follow. For in the context, we see the justice of God fully displayed in regard to the question of His mercy. How can He show mercy without hindering and harming his justice. Paul says it in Romans chapter 3 right here, being justified as a gift by his grace. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, middle of 25, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed, middle of 26, so that he would be just and the justifier, the one making righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. He remains to be just even though he passes over the sins previously committed. Understand what's going on there. Understand what's, what Paul is saying. What God is describing 
is that his mercy is not subverted. I'm sorry, his justice is not subverted by his mercy, but only delayed. He delayed it so he could take the punishment of it on himself. You deserve to die immediately because of your sin. But God, in his long-suffering, think about what he did. He allowed you and me to step on him while he waited for his son to take the penalty for our sin. He let it take place. He let it happen. He let it happen to us. And so we see this, what God has done in his love for us. This is why God can be just And this is now why we can come to the place. Why is Jesus the only way? Why is Jesus the only way? Why is he the only one to satisfy the penalty for your sin that God would remain just? Now's the crux of the question, the the very kernel of it here. There's two principles of God's justice, part of his character, Uh, presented from the very beginning of Genesis. The first principle is found in Genesis 2. The second principle found in Genesis 3. So what is it? What are those two principles? While Adam was still in the garden, God said to him, the tree that you eat, when you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in, in that day you will surely die. The principle of God's justice is that disobedience brings death. And and God reiterated it in Ezekiel. The soul that sins shall die. The soul that sins shall die. We see it in Romans 6.23. You're familiar with that perhaps. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 32. Though they know the ordinance of God that those who do such things, not only uh, are worthy of death, not only do they do them, but they give hearty approval to those who do them. See, in every person's heart, because God has written the law in every person's heart, you know when you do wrong. So there's no excuse. I didn't know, God, that it was wrong to lie. God, I didn't know that it was wrong to hate my neighbor in my heart. God, I didn't know these things. Not only do they know them, so it, it, and we see this here, uh, Romans uh, 5, um, for Adam sinned, death came to all men because all sinned. The soul that sins, it shall die. Um, and again and again, those, those things, those things that you have done, you're now ashamed of. Don't you know they bring death? The Old Testament, there are several uh, verses as well. The father shall not be put to death for the son. But every man shall die for his own sin. Uh, Deuteronomy is 1 Kings and 2 Kings and Jeremiah. All of those verses say the very same thing. Everyone would be put to death for their own sin. The soul that sins shall die. That's the first principle. The second principle is seen in Genesis chapter 3 when God confronts Adam and Eve about their sin. They sinned. They disobeyed. They tried to hide. God comes to them. And here's the second principle. The innocent sacrifice may be substituted 
in place of the guilty party. That's hope. That's hope. You see, what took place with Adam and Eve in the garden? In Genesis 3.21, it says, they tried to cover their own sin. They put fig leaves on. They thought maybe they could hide. What happened? Like the, the little boy who tries to glue the cookie jar back together when he knocks it off the, the, the shelf and thinks his mom won't notice uh, with all these gaps and holes and things. And, and uh, what did God do for them? Instead of killing them, which would have been just because God said, in the day you eat, you'll die, he took an innocent sacrifice, an animal, and it says he took the skins and covered them. There's the principle that was laid out in Genesis 3.21. We see it likewise in the Passover. Um, God in, it spared the firstborn when the lamb was killed and the blood was placed over the doorpost and the lintel of the house. Um, it demonstrates his justice being taken care of. An innocent party can fulfill the place of the guilty. Um, the Levitical priesthood showed that again and again as they offered up bulls and goats and, and rams year after year after year. It was picturing that. And it came to fruition in the cross, why, uh, the cross work of Jesus Christ, the unblemished Passover lamb. And yet animals, as this picture, can only have kept individuals from physical death such as in the Passover lamb, but they could not keep them from spiritual death because they could never in actuality forgive sin. That's what the author of Hebrews says. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin in Hebrews 10. The willing sacrifice had to have been of human origin in order to atone for their iniquity. In Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews says, since the children, since you and I partake of flesh and blood, he likewise partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation, to make a sacrifice that turns away God's wrath for the sins of the people. Because all sin is primarily against God. Since it's in, it is injustice against him, his creation, and who he is, he is able to take the penalty upon himself in which nothing or no one else is able to do. But only if he took it upon himself in human nature as our intercessor. But why couldn't there be another way? Because there is no one else that could meet the standard of God's justice, to properly pay the debt. Again, the wages of sin is death, and the penalty is infinite in scope. It's an infinite penalty. Psalm 49 and verses 7 and 9 say this. It speaks of the impossibility of such an effort. The psalmist wrote, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give a ransom to God for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally. He should not undergo decay. The proper offering must be blameless. And who else could meet that? Could you? You couldn't do it for yourself. You can't do it for someone else. That's why God did it for us. Why he did it for you. So that you might be made right with God. That is the good news. That is the grace that we find 
And the issue isn't, did God provide one way or a hundred ways? I'll tell you this, if God had provided a hundred ways for you to be saved, you would say, well, God, why not a hundred and one? They say, well, how do, how, why would you say that? How do you know that? I'll tell you this, because Adam and Eve had every way to stay in the garden but one. They had, it wasn't that God gave them one tree to eat and to stay in the garden and one bad one. He said, of every, every tree of the garden you can eat, everything that, that's for food you can eat except one. And they chose the, the wrong one. They chose to disobey. So if God had provided a hundred or a thousand, you'd say a thousand and one. If you want God to provide other ways besides Jesus, it's not because the way of Jesus is inadequate. The, G, the way of Jesus is fully adequate for you to be saved. Completely. Fully to be saved. Not by works of righteousness so that no one can boast. The reason is, that you are unwilling to come to Jesus to be saved. The religious leaders in Jesus' day said the same thing. And Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life and it's the Scriptures that speak of me. But you are unwilling to come to me to be saved. That's what they did. And if you say, there's got to be another way, I'd love any other way. Well, no, no, no. God's not given you another way. He's given you a way, the way, in Jesus. You need to be willing to come. You need to be willing to say, it is Him. He is the one. And I plead with you this morning. Be reconciled to God through His Son. For although you currently are, a recipient of God's mercy. This will only delay his judgment. And there's interest to pay on that judgment. What you need is his grace. You need his grace. And his grace by which you may be saved was paid for through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today, you have the opportunity to decide where that justice will be poured out. Today, you have the opportunity. Not tomorrow, because we don't have promise of tomorrow. Today, you have opportunity to determine which side that justice will be poured out. Will it be poured out on you for all eternity? Or will it be poured out upon Jesus Christ on the cross? So that his justice will be graciously turned away from you and on to him like a heat shield of a space shuttle coming back into orbit. You ever see those pictures of the heat shield and the flames coming up around? Those people in that craft were safe. Even though just outside the wrath of that fire was burning Thousands of degrees. And yet inside, they were completely safe and comfortable because the wrath had turned, been turned away by that shield. God can place His justice upon His Son, which He willingly took for you, 
or he can place it upon you. Which do you want? Jesus gave himself for you. I encourage you, would you come today and be saved? We're going to close in just a moment with prayer. But we're going to have a song. And as we have that song, if you need Christ as your Savior, would you not let anything prevent you from coming to him and receiving him as Savior? Please, I plead with you. I beg you for Jesus' sake because he died and rose for you so that you need not fear any judgment. You might say, I have been saved by the blood of his son shed for me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this wonderful question this individual asked because it hits the very heart of who you are and your justice. Oh, Father, I pray that your justice would fall upon none of those here this morning, that they, in hearing the good news of righteousness in Jesus, that they would come to him. They would call upon him. They would say, I need this righteousness as a gift by His grace. Oh, Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You'll stand. We're going to sing Jesus Paid It All, 210. So as we sing that together, are you here this morning? Do you need Jesus as your Savior? Would you just come? As we begin to sing, just step into the aisle. Just come and somebody will pray with you to receive Christ. As we sing, Jesus paid it all. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. snow. Don't delay. We've gone long today, um, but we're going to take some time, one or two more verses. If you need Christ, don't delay. Don't put this off, please. Come and receive Him as your Savior. As we sing on the next verse, you come and call upon Him. Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone Can change the leper's spots And melt the heart of stone Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and for your word. Lord, I pray as we come back tonight to hear of your own son's work and the trials that he endured for our sake that we might understand how to walk with you. Lord, I pray and ask God that you would glorify your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in saving those who need you. Father, I Pray for grace from the, the junior church teachers who've had to go long today and that uh, they would not be mad at this long-winded man. 
Father, I just pray and thank you for your love for us. And Lord, for those people here who've never received you, that today they would see and think about what they've heard and call upon your name. Oh, God, please, in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.